Why don't you give an air high five, somebody around you. Say this, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. You can be seated. God is so good, and he's good to us. Amen. And, um, man, I'll tell you, day to day, it's an adventure. Day to day, it's an adventure. You know what? We can may think of it not as an adventure, but we're with God. And he said he'd never leave us. He'd never forsake us. He'd walk with us every single day. He didn't say every single day would be perfect. He said that he would be with us wherever we went. And so in the day that we're living in and time we're living in, we have been talking about this the last few weeks that we could look back to woulda, coulda, shoulda, or we can look so far forward that someday we'll begin to change, someday we'll begin to respond. But the question and my question to us to continue to think about not just today, but as we go through our weeks, what about now? What about now? When we start to hear about certain things that have taken place, we, we go back to those to ask ourselves, but what about now? That may have happened, but what am I going to do about that right now? And we may hear about someday in the future and come to the point of saying, you know, this is going to come and it may look great, it may look bleak. And we're just bracing ourselves to wait and see what might happen. But if you're in that place, whether it's in the government or it's in the uh, coronavirus or whatever it is that you're saying, well, we're just going to sit back and wait and see what's going to happen. I just challenge you to ask, well, what am I going to do now? Am I just going to sit around and do nothing and just wait and let life dictate to me? Or am I going to do something today? Am I going to do something right now? How am I going to respond in my life today? In our foundational text, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I want to welcome everybody who's joining us online and welcome our Meeker campus uh, that's joining us online as they do every single Sunday. We're glad that you're with us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. If you were with us last week, we talked about that grace of God, how important it is to recognize right now the grace of God that is upon your life. The favor of God rests upon you. The power of God is working in you. The divine influence of the Holy Spirit is working out uh, things in you that will reflect in our day-to-day life. That is the grace of God. And Paul said, we don't want that grace of God to be useless on our behalf, not in vain. And so he said, in an acceptable time, I've heard you, and in, a day, in the day of salvation, I have helped you. He said, behold now. Everybody say now. now. He said, behold, now is the accepted time, and behold, now is the day of salvation. Everybody say now. now. We have to ask ourselves, what are we going to do right now? It's easy to put off now till someday. It's easy to say, I can't do that now because of what happened sometime in the past. But God is working and dealing with us in the now, Right? Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on. You know, we read that scripture and we think, you know, we, we scratch our head about that. How can he tell us not to do that? How can he tell us? I got bills to pay. I got my family to clothe. I got those things. And he said, I'll tell you how. He said, I take care of the, the birds of the air and I take care of the flowers of the field. And you're more important to me than that. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. 
But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Right now, seek first the kingdom of God. Don't seek heaven. See, sometimes we listen to that and we're like, uh, well, he wants me to look to heaven someday when I go to heaven. No, he says, seek first right now the kingdom of heaven. Which that just means seek first where the king has dominion. Where is God ruling? And Jesus said, the kingdom of God has not only come near you, but the kingdom of God is within you. If you're born again right now, the kingdom of God, the, the, a kingdom is actually where the king has dominion. And so if we go to Romans chapter 5, we, really, we understand that Paul wrote to the Roman church and he says, if we will receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, that we will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. In other words, when we receive what he has for us and we make him Lord and he reigns in our life, then we reign over life. We reign over the temptations that come our way. We reign over sin that tries to pull us down and dictate to us something other than what God has. It says, this will start to move you, but when you seek first, where is the king ruling? Today. Does he actually have rule in my emotions? Does he have rule in my action? Is he Lord of my life? He says, seek first, look for that first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Righteousness is right standing with God. So I'm looking and saying, I'm in right relationship with God. He's ruling in my life. So today, if God's ruling in my life and I'm right relationship with him, the decision making of my day has to do and has to be with him. He went on to say, tomorrow has trouble in it sufficient for tomorrow. You'll get to tomorrow, but today is the day of salvation. Today is the acceptable time. Today is where we recognize that the kingdom of God is at work on the inside of us, that the Holy Spirit is working in you and me today to will and to do of his good pleasure. He's working in us today to produce fruit from the Holy Spirit, to transform our life from the old nature, the human nature, the flesh nature that's talked about in Galatians chapter 6, to producing the life of the Spirit, which is also in Galatians 6, love, joy, peace, goodness, gentleness, meekness, faithfulness, self-control. He said, against those things, there is no law. You get to live in peace and joy, and if we focus on those things, but th see, things come against us. Things come into our marriage. Things come into our family. Things come into our job. Things, information comes to us. And all of a sudden, our flesh reacts, our flesh responds in outbursts of anger, in lasciviousness, in bitter ang bitterness, in those things. And we just think that's normal. But it's the enemy trying to pull us out and pull us down. But when those things attack, those things try to pull on us and make us angry and bitter and unforgiving, we have to stop and say, what am I going to do right now? Not what am I going to do tomorrow when I get over it. What am I going to do right now? When things happen in our life, we, we think, well, you know what? I'll forgive that person someday or tomorrow, but now is the time to forgive. Because if you have bitterness in your heart, you have bitter envy, it begins to work a defilement. It begins to work harmful things. The enemy's at work. While you're waiting to forgive, the enemy is trying to work something in your life to keep you from forgiving. Today's the day 
to live in salvation. Today is the day not only to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, but today is the day to receive what came with that. Not just salvation, but deliverance, wholeness, prosperity. All that salvation means, healing and wholeness. Today's the day. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We started on these things last week. And I want to continue today. Y'all with me all week? Praise the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you know this very well, verse 13, it says, and now abide. Everybody say now. now. And now abide. You know, when you start reading the scripture, you find out how many times he says now. <laughs> not later, not used to be, now. And now abide, faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. The Message Bible says it like this, for right now, everybody say now. Until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us towards that consummation. I like that he says we have three things to do. Right now abide, three things to bring us to the consummation. Trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, love extravagantly, and the best of these three is love. And so last week, the question really was, how are you loving right now? How's your love walk right now? If the greatest of these is love, we have to ask ourselves every day, how am I loving today? Am I loving, as the Message Bible says, extravagantly? We talked about this in our message, becoming, that one of the things about becoming a disciple is to love extravagantly. It's to love beyond. It's to love the unlovely. It's to love those who hate you. It's to love those who persecute you. It's to pray for those who despitefully use you. It's something that goes beyond human love that says, I can love you because you love me. I can give to you because you give to me. I can forgive you because you forgave me. It goes beyond that to reaching out. And really, when the love of God dwells in us, in Ephesians, in the second chapter, in the fourth verse, from the Amplified Bible, it says, but God. It's talking about how we were led by the course of this world, whatever way the enemy wanted to leave us, because we were under sin, we were dictated to by the course of this world, which was dictated by the prince of the power of the air, the one who now works in the sons of disobedience. He says, but God. He said, we were all like that. At one time, we were all led by that course of the world. He said, but God, so rich is he in mercy because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love with which he loved us, he sent Jesus. When we're walking in the love of God, there's something about the love of God that you need to act upon for it to be satisfied. You can say, well, I love you. You can say, the love of God dwells in me, that I have the love of God. We can say all that with lip service, but in order for the love of God to be satisfied, it has to reach out to somebody. And it actually, in this, this particular scripture, God reached out to those who weren't worthy, those who were separated from him, those who were actually enemies of his through sin. He said, I loved them so much that I sent Jesus to satisfy my love for them. It'll begin to be an amazing transformation in our lives if we begin to look at people that we have a difficult time with and we start, we just start with saying, God, I'm going to love them. 
We just make a declaration. I'm going to love them. I'm going to do what your word says. I'm going to pray for them. If they've wronged me, I'm going to forgive them. I know if you've been with us for uh, quite some time, then you've heard this story before, and I'll try to make it really brief, but I had an encounter with a young woman right after we started pastoring in a public place. She was very angry with me over some things, and she made it very public. And so this was on a Saturday night. I had just got done praying for the service. I was actually stopping in the store to have coffee. I know that doesn't sound good, but I was much younger than I could drink coffee and go right to sleep and sleep all night. But I was just stopping after I, I mean, I was just, I was in the presence of God. I was getting a coffee. She came in. She saw me. Bam. We, I mean, she, she was backing me, backing me through the aisles of the store. People were watching. And, and, and watch, so when I left, you know, probably unlike you, you probably would have been calm, cool, and collected. I felt embarrassed. And I was getting, the more I thought about it, the more upset I was getting, right? And so uh, even that Sunday, it was difficult for me to preach my message without including and weaving that into it. And so Monday, I was, uh, I'll exaggerate a little bit just because I don't remember all the words, but pretty close to, I was like, now, God, how can we, um, could we call fire down from heaven? I mean, we, we could make a pretty good impact if, if really you were on my side. We did something to her, really, to um, just let people know you just don't really mess with the man of God. And, you know, you just expect God would jump in on that. But what came out of my heart is the scripture in Matthew. He said, no, no, I want you to pray for her. And I don't know if I said out of my mouth, but I know I thought this. You've got to be kidding me. Let's replay, right? Let's go back. What she did a couple days ago, God says, no, right now, I want you to love her. Right now, I want you to pray for her. Right now. I'm like, right now? Right now, I want you to pray for her. Right now, I want you to forgive her. Man, I'm telling you, I was gritting my teeth. I kept going back to a couple days before. God, you must not have been watching. I know you don't sleep. I know you know everything. But I'm not sure you got the same take on that incident that I did. Now, I know none of you have ever been in a situation like that before. But I'm just trying to be honest with you. But he continued to impress upon me. I couldn't get this scripture out of my head once God started talking to me. I want you to pray for her. I want you to forgive her. I want you to love her. So I just began to pray. I began to pray that God would send somebody across her path. I began to pray that God would uh, minister to her, that, that God would love on her. I mean, I was, I was biting my tongue to start off with. But you know what? Then I couldn't say I prayed for her yesterday. I came in the next morning, and the enemy tried to stir it up again, and God said, pray for her. And it got to be a daily thing. Sometimes you can make the enemy really mad, and you can actually get him to shut up if he keeps stirring you, and you just pray for the person he's stirring you about. So anyway, to move this ahead, we, we did uh, months later... We got together with the Assembly of God Church. They were showing a Billy Graham film in their evening service, so we just decided to partner with them and just went over to the Assembly of God service. Billy Graham film uh, was playing. At the end of the film, they did an altar call. Uh, I'll never forget, they have two aisles here. I was on the center aisle, somewhere near the front. All of a sudden, I see two people coming up the side aisle to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I glanced out of my eye, and that woman 
was one of those two ladies that came up to be born again. And you know, when she came up to be born again, I was like, no, God, no, 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 don't do that. No, because I'd been praying for her. I was like, are you kidding me? She's getting saved. It was so cool. But God didn't stop there. About a year later, I'm in the preschool talking to our preschool director. Somebody comes in the door behind me. I was facing the director's desk. Somebody comes in behind me and starts talking to the director. Now, that night impressed upon me her voice so much that without even seeing who it was, I knew who it was. And she was standing. I was sitting. She was standing. I couldn't see her, but I knew the voice. So for all I knew, if she knew who I was, I might catch it in the back of the head. I was just going, oh, Jesus. Anyway, she talked for a while. I greeted her. She went out, found out that she had been attending a Bible study that a woman in our church was having. About a month later, I baptized her in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Come on. You can keep going back and saying, look what they did, but God says, I got something better. If you'll love extravagantly. And you got to think about it. Sometimes we think, no, I'm not praying for them. Somebody's got to pay. And, you know, that little thing in the back of our mind says, God won't make them pay. But that's a good thing because Jesus already paid. He already paid for you. He already paid for me. He paid for them. How's your love walk right now? What happened in your marriage this week? What happened at work this week? What happened maybe with an encounter somewhere that the enemy's trying to trap you in bitterness and unforgiveness? And it wasn't right. It wasn't and you keep going back to what happened earlier this week, and you can't get forward because of that. He says, what are you going to do in walking in love right now? Right now. He says, now abide faith, hope, and love. What I want to talk to you about this morning is the power of hope. Hope is a tremendously powerful thing. We get to thinking, hope so, maybe so, think so. We think hope and intuition, but hope is something that is dynamically powerful. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. See, your faith is important. The love of God is important, but now faith does what? It gives substance to hope. What is hope? Hope is a confident, favorable expectation. Our hope is so powerful and dynamic that it will anchor you to God. Hope is such a powerful thing. In Hebrews, the sixth chapter, Hebrews, the sixth chapter, in the 18th verse, this is from the Passion Translation. It says, so it is impossible for God to lie, for we know that his promise and his vow will never change. Let that just be embedded in your heart. It's impossible for God to lie, and we know his promise, his vow to us will never change. Why is that important? He's about to tell us. And now we have run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. Come on, man. I like that. You know, if you've been here in the beginning of the year while we were praying about this year, 
Spirit of God just raised up on the inside of me. I mean, I just saw this as I was praying that God wanted to, do us, wanted to pull us into his heart. In the upcoming days in this year, God wants to pull us into his heart. You can see if that's what God wants to do. The enemy's all over trying to push us away, say, why is this happening? What's going on? But today, God wants to embrace us and pull us into his heart. I love this. And now we have run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. This is where we find his strength and comfort. For he empowers us to seize what has already been established ahead of time, an unshakable hope. An unshakable hope. Everything that's going on around us today, whether it seems like you stand back and go, oh my God, are you kidding? A fire. Not another bad news about coronavirus. Not, oh my gosh, another bad news in the politics of our day. What are we going to do? And it's all created to create hopelessness. Oh my God, what is this going to look like? And we think it's bad, but he says we're drawn into the heart of God. God has promises that far exceed what you see today, what is being talked about, about tomorrow. God has promises that supersede things that people think may destruct and never create an unchangeable thing, but he has an unshakable hope for us today. He says we have this certain hope like a strong unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. Come on, when your emotions try to get pulled this way and that way and you remember what Jesus did and why he did it to rescue you from everything that it looks like is going to direct your life in this world and he's redeemed you, he sets you in a place in, his, in relationship with him, he has a path and a plan and a purpose for you declared in Christ Jesus. He said, listen, this is like an anchor. When everything seems to be going opposite of that, you come back to the cross and what Jesus did for you in his death death, burial, and resurrection, and why he did it for you. And it's an unshakable, unchanging hope. What we need today is hope. It's an anchor. Fastens us. I like this. It says to God himself, our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat which sits in the heavenly realm beyond the sacred threshold and where Jesus, our forerunner, has gone in before us. He is now and forever our royal priest like Melchizedek. Listen, whatever hope you have in, in God, it says it reaches beyond this world. It reaches in behind the veil. It reaches clear to the mercy seat where Jesus went and sprinkled his blood before God. And that living hope right now is the fact that the blood of Jesus is sprinkled right before God. And when we come before him, he looks at us through the blood and the price paid, which gives us hope no matter what happened in the future, no matter what dire things look like are out there, whatever happened in the past looks like in the future. He says, right now, you can come to the mercy seat and get hope, an unshakable hope. Don't let the world tell you how it's going to turn out. Don't let the politicians tell you how it's going to turn out. Jesus entered behind the veil, sprinkled his blood to tell you how it's going to turn out for you. 
I love the song Cornerstone. It starts out like this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Come on, if your hope is on anything else, it's shaky. But when your hope is built on nothing less than the blood and the righteousness that he provided for you, then hope begins to spring up on the inside of you, begins to paint pictures and create vision for you. Hope is incredibly powerful. I want to talk to you about a couple of things concerning hope that maybe we don't understand, maybe you do, but number one, hope is not passive. Hope is not hope so, think so, maybe so. First John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that, he should call, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know him. Excuse me, therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. Whew. For we shall see him as he is. How many of you believe that you don't know what it looks like, but when you see him, you're going to be like him? That recreated human spirit has changed us. The Spirit of God is working on transforming us so that we say, listen, I don't know what that's going to look like exactly, but I know God is working in me daily to will and to do of his good pleasure. And when I see him, I'm going to be like him. Now listen to what he says. He says hope isn't passive. We're not just sitting here waiting for the day that we die to see if we're like him when we stand before him. It says this, and everyone who has this hope in them which was about 90% of you. 90% of you said you have this hope in you, so it can't be a passive, I hope, I, I hope when I see him I'm like him. He says, see, that's how we get it. I hope when I see him I'm going to be like him. We think that's what hope is. I hope when I see him I'm going to be like him. No, it says, listen, we don't know what it looks like, but we know because Jesus has come to live in our hearts and transform our life. We don't know fully, but we know, we know that when we see him we're going to be like him. And everyone who has this hope, it's not like I hope so, anyone who has this hope in them purifies themselves, even as Jesus is pure. He said, listen, if you have a hope of seeing him and being like him, if you really have a hope, then it's an active hope. It says, today I'm putting off impurity. Today I'm putting off stuff that I believe does not look like him. I'm putting it off. Why? Because someday I'm going to stand before him and my hope is that I'm going to be like him. It's not a passive hope so, think so, maybe so. It's aggressive movement. If that one went by you, let me just bring it down to maybe where we live. A number of years ago, uh, you know, Tasha and I, we, we had been married for a few years. We had uh, rented a number of houses. And... Uh, we just got to this point of saying, you know what? How do we do this? We don't want to rent all of our lives. We don't want to pay off somebody else's house. What are we going to do? We didn't have a lot of money, but we just we sat down one day and we said, you know what? We hope to have our own house someday. And if that's all we would have done, we still may be hoping to have our own house someday. 
But what we did is we said we hope to have our own house someday. So here's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to set up a savings account for our house. And we're going to have to, although it will be hard with the bills that we have and the money that we make, it will be hard, but we're going to start putting money into a house fund. I'm going to show you how powerful hope is and how it works. Now, I know some of you are confusing this with vision. No, it really wasn't. Vision gets out there, we start to see it, but hope is active. It's not passive. It's not like, well, we'll see that. Vision sees it, hope begins to work towards it. So we open an account, put a little bit of money in it, we started. Not too long after that, somebody came up and said, you know what, we don't know what the deal is, but God was dealing with our hearts. Are you guys, are you guys trying to build a house? Are you guys trying to buy a house? And we said, well, we're not really trying, but we're hoping we just start an account. And they said, well, God told me to give you $5,000 for your house. Hope. We started not passively, but aggressively moving for hope. So we had that account. We started putting in that account, putting away for that, getting ourselves prepared for that, actively preparing, still hoping that we would own a house one day. Then I get a phone call as we're putting money away, watching the market go up. <laughs> like, how are we ever going to catch this market? We started here. The housing market in Glenwood started to, to take off. We're like, how are we going to even keep pace? And all of a sudden, I get a phone call. Somebody says, I'd like to have lunch with you and your wife. I said, all right, we'll have lunch. It'll be great. Sat down and said, you know what? There's this new subdivision out over here in Newcastle. I don't know what you think about that, but I'm working there. And God just put it on my heart to build you a house for whatever you could qualify for. Go and find out what you qualify for. We'll build your house. But at that point, we were still hoping to have our own house. What did we have to do? We had to go look at all the plans, and we had to pick the plans. And then we had to make sure that we had all the financing. We had to keep doing hope is not passive. Hope is aggressive. If you really hope to have it, you start, hope starts moving you towards the direction that you hope. We've had, I hope that happens. I wish that could happen. But if you really have a hope that is set in the blessing of God, if you have a hope that is set in what Jesus did for you to change your life, if you have a hope that comes from the word of God, you are actively saying, this is what God has for me. And I'm taking the steps and moving the direction. Hope actually is aggressive, not passive. Number two, hope is courageous. Hope is courageous. Sometimes we're just like, you know, I hope so, and I'm hoping just in case it doesn't happen. No, hope is courageous. Romans, Romans the fifth chapter. Come on, I want to instill some hope in you. Not hope that you go away and say, I hope that happens someday. I hope that turns out for me. I hope all this stuff turns out okay. But to get into the Word and see what God said about you and to you, Concerning this generation, you and I came to the kingdom for such a time as this, not for another time. We didn't miss our time. We, we, someday ahead might not be our time. Right now is our time. God's doing something right now in you. God wants to speak to you about something right now. He wants to speak to you about a relationship right now. God wants to work in your marriage right now. God wants to work in your kids right now. Come on. Your kids might be having trouble. 
They may seem like they're going away from God. They're not, they're not getting it. But guess what? If you have a hope, if you go to the word of God that says your children will be blessed and you say, I have that hope, then you start actively praying. You start actively putting yourself out there and praying the word of God and declaring and seeing them serving God, not where they're at right now. Amen. Hope doesn't sit back and wait and see and hope so, think so, maybe so. Hope says, I see that and I'm actively acting and I'm courageously standing. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, we, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You can say it like this our hope does not bring discouragement. Why? Because hope courageously stands up, right? Uh, we read in the Old Testament Joshua, he has a hope of possessing the land. But what does he do? He actively gets into the Word of God. God says, Listen, you're going to possess the land. You don't possess it yet, that's a hope. But what you're going to do is you're going to meditate in this Word day and night and night and day. You're going to know my promises inside out, upside down, left to right. You're going to know my promises so that when you go to take that land and anything comes against you, you have already exercised your hope to go in and take that land. He said, you be strong and very courageous. Don't you swerve to the right hand or the left. You keep your hope firm and courageous no matter what comes. I declare it. Some people will even say, I've lost all hope. Don't allow the enemy to cause you to lose all hope. God wrote this word and his promises, and every single promise of God has its yes, and it's so be it in Christ Jesus. He promised you life. He promised you health. He promised you soundness. He promised to develop love and joy and peace in your life. Say, I've just lost hope about loving people because they've messed it so long. Don't lose hope about loving people. It's not about people. It's about the Spirit of God producing love in you that goes beyond what people do. A joy, unspeakable and full of glory. I'm not a very joyous person. I've lost all hope that I'll ever enjoy life. Don't lose hope that you'll enjoy life. God's given you joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. Well, I'm not seeing it. It's time to start hoping. It's time to start moving and courageously stand against depression, courageously stand against the oppressive one that comes and says you can't have joy, and just stand up and rejoice. Come on, it's an anchor. The enemy's trying to throw you every which way. Every day, new news. Generally not good. Isn't it amazing? We got all kinds of bad news that we can talk about all the day, but right here is the good news. If we just acted on the good news, we talked about the good news. As much as we talk about the bad news, life would look better. Hope would stir. But God, the moment you hear this is going wrong, that's going wrong, this has happened, that's happened, 
It did happen, but now, but God. God's at work. God's doing something. By hope, we just see past this temporary veil that's here, and we begin to see. We already see. We see right here what the enemy's doing. We see what he, the havoc and the destruction and the division that he's creating. But just on the other side of that veil, God is working. God is working to will and to do of his good pleasure. God's working to bring revival to a nation. God's working to bring health and comfort and help to hearts that are hurting. And he wants you and I to be a part of it. But we have to see past the circumstantial veil of the day and look past that and how it may affect us and see what God wants us to do in ministering to other people who are struggling because we have a hope. Hopelessness seems to be at almost an all-time high when you look at the statistics. Domestic violence, divorce, suicide, they're all up. People lost hope in their marriage, hope in their family. Young people have lost hope in life. We serve a God of hope. It's time for the church to arise and have hope. But see, we can fall even into hopelessness because we let that dictate to our minds and our thoughts how it's going to turn out, what our job is going to be. Are we going to lose it? Are we not going to lose it? How is this going to work? But we begin to draw back and look at the good news and allow the good news to show us what God has planned and what Jesus has done and be anchored in the promises and the, the work and the redemption of Jesus Christ and begin to process that into today. What does the cross and the resurrection mean to me today? How has it changed my heart today? How has it washed me from the past today? How is it positioning me today for something better than I ever thought? And most of us can find out that it's positioned us somewhere with someone that we didn't expect that we'll have an opportunity to share the goodness of God with. Since this has happened, I've ended up in some really odd situations where all of a sudden the Spirit of God will say, you're here with that person right here because I want you to tell them about me. And they're not really the best situation to say, hey, can I talk to you right now? But God deals with me and says, here's an opportunity. You're going to take it. And it begins with, if we're hoping to have revival, it starts right here with this person in front of you. We can pray about revival. We can pray about the great harvest. But if we have hope for it, what are we doing with the person in front of us today? I can't talk to them today because I'm mad at them. They don't, they don't even want Jesus. What it, see, we get that unextravagant love, but when we have extravagant love, it creates an expectancy, and that hope, that expectancy doesn't disappoint us or make us ashamed because the love of God towards us so moves us that we want them to know the love of God like we know the love of God and it starts perpetuating. And just like you can say, I'm going to just start putting some things away for a house. You can just start praying for somebody and watch God open doors and see their life change and transform. You can begin to say, I don't even know where I fit. And just say, God, I'm going to take a step and do something. And all of a sudden find out there's a path that stirs up the gifts and the callings in your life. But you're waiting for the gift or for somebody to invite you to stand and speak. But it's just about taking a step with somebody that you run into saying, I got something to offer, and it begins, that hope begins to move you towards something even greater. 
Hope is, number three, hope is most productive when it's lived now. Hope is most productive when it's lived now. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved for you in heaven, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in these last times. So wait a minute, it's reserved just when I get to heaven. No, he says it's a living hope right now. That if you believe that heaven is so much greater, you start to live with the hope of heaven right now. You live as an heir of Jesus right now because you are an heir. This, in, this inheritance is incorruptible and undefiled belongs to you right now. You are a son and a daughter, an heir of God and a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you believe that you're a son and a daughter and you have a hope that you're an heir of the things of heaven, he said you begin to understand and have a living hope right now. I live like I'm a son of God. I live like I'm a daughter of God. I live like I have an inheritance that comes from heaven. I live like I'm a king's kid. Come on. Today. Well, someday I'll get that. Someday I'll learn, Pastor. Someday. No, today's the day. What about right now? You're a child of God right now. You're not going to be someday. If you've made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, you're a child of God right now. If you're a child of God right now, you're an heir of God right now. You're a joint heir, not a sub-heir, a joint heir with Jesus right now. All right, I've got to hurry up. So one, hope is not passive. Two, hope is courageous. Number three, hope is most productive when it's lived now. Number four, hope reaches its highest pinnacle through joyful gratitude. Hope reaches its highest pinnacle through joyful gratitude. Sometimes we lose hope because we just say, you know what? It's, it, it hasn't ever worked out. It's not going to work out. Woe is me. When we look and see what Jesus did and begin to rejoice, rejoice that he created hope. Romans 5, 2, it says, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope. Hope causes us to rejoice. People say, yeah, see, that's why I'm not rejoicing. I don't have any hope. Come on, hope is active right now. And hope reaches its highest. You start to rejoice in what Jesus has done for you. You start to praise him for what he's already done. You start to acknowledge in gratitude, you redeemed my life from destruction. You laid over that whipping post so that I might have healing. You paid the price for my sin that it may be washed and forgiven. That I could be a new creation in Christ. That my old life could be passed away. And I could have a brand new life in relationship with you. You begin to praise him for that. And it will stir hope and raise it to a high place. It's not who I used to be. It's not who I can be. It's who I am right now in Christ. And I'm so thankful that you saved my life. 
I'm so thankful that I am the redeemed of the Lord, and I will say so. It's not by my works or not by my might or not by my power, but it's by the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that I am what I am, the grace of God. And he's called me by his grace to be something more than ordinary. He's called me out of the winds that blow every single day that would toss me to and fro. He's called me and put my feet on a solid rock so I can stand no matter what the storm does and look in the midst of the storm with hope that we're going to the other side. Why? Because Jesus said that we would. James chapter 1, starting in verse 2, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. That word count is a Greek word. When you look at it, it really means this. It says, my brethren, take up the lead with joy. Take up the lead with joy. In other words, circumstances, testings, and trials are going to come to lead you down a path that they desire. But when you begin to rejoice in what Jesus has done, you start to lead the trial. The trial doesn't lead you. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work. That you may be complete and entire, lacking nothing. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally and without reproach. Excuse me. And it will be given to him. So I didn't say anything about hope there. Yeah, if you look at it, faith is the substance of what you hope for. Romans said, listen, the things that we go through, trouble... Uh, produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. What's happening in that time when you're rejoicing and you're having perseverance, characters being developed, and hope is springing forth in that rejoicing, a greater hope is coming. Hope reaches its pinnacle in joyful gratitude. Now abide faith, hope, and love. Not someday. I used to hope yesterday. I used to hope. No. Where's your hope today? What are you hoping in today? What are you getting up this morning going, you know what? This is how I'm cultivating this hope. This is what I'm doing right now to get to the next place. Hope helps you plan your day because it's actively working towards something in the future, but it knows I can't wait till the future. I start today if hope's real. What about now? Where's your love walk now? On a scale of 10, where's your hope meter now? Have you let the circumstances of life, have you let situations in your marriage or your family, have you let financial situations steal your hope? You didn't even recognize it. You just got, I don't even know anymore. Man, so much has happened. I don't even know anymore. These things keep happening in my marriage. I don't even know if we can make it anymore. You can make it. 
You just have to look and say, you know what, we got married, and this is the reason we got married, and today I have hope that we're going to restore, and so as a husband, I'm doing what I need to to restore. As a wife, I'm doing what I need to restore. I'm not waiting for them, and someday I see that we can be good together, so today I start being good. Where's your hope? Well, you know, the economy's just going, I, I don't know anymore. It's time to refuel. It's time to ask God to know that he is the one that causes you to prosper. What does God want to do right now? Start to rejoice in him. Praise him. Look at those scriptures of what God planned and what he promised you. Stir it up once again. Don't allow the enemy to get you to the point of, I just don't even know anymore. Romans chapter 15, verse 13, Paul said this, Now may the God of hope, some translations say the God of all hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, the God of all hope, wants to give you joy and peace so that you will abound every day in hope. You say, I don't know if I can do that. You can do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not by your might, not by your power, but by the Holy Spirit. And hope will transform the way we live. Just like we go back to, if you have a hope, of seeing him and being like him, today you purify yourself. If you have a true hope of the promise of God, then today you're doing things that move you in that direction. Now hope is. Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank you. We praise you and we magnify you and we glorify you. You are the God of all hope. God, I ask you in this day and this hour.